introduction. We want to just introduce ourselves a minute. Uh, my name is Becky Sniffett, and I work for the Kelvin Institute of Christian Worship, um, which is located at Kelvin University and Kelvin Theological Seminary. Maria Cornell, I also work at CICW, originally from Buenos Aires, Argentina, living in Weeble, Kentucky, and working in Michigan. <laughs> yeah. My name is uh, Kai Tong Chow, also a staff member at the, at, at the Worship Institute, and uh, I am originally from China, moved to Hong Kong, and then the U.S., and Canada, and then I'm here. <laughs> Before we get any further, we wanted to make sure that everyone has a copy of the free resources that were at the door. Does anyone need a copy of resources yet? Yes. So welcome, we are very glad that you chose this session and we hope we have a good time together, uh, a good time of learning about uh, multilingual singing for worshiping communities. That means classrooms, chapel, and other sort of communities. So the first, um, the first thing we'd like to start discussing is um, the reasons behind, the reasoning behind uh, multilingual or bilingual singing, especially considering uh, educational settings. And of course, we are all aware that um, there is a, demographic shift in the country, and there are more uh, minority students or students in our Christian schools uh, for whom uh, English is not their first language, or could be their first language, but there is another language spoken at home. Uh, we have some numbers that are very interesting. Uh, according to the Pew Research, the foreign-born population in general in the U.S. is uh, around 44 0.4 million people, and we are soon um, arriving to the 50 million, um, which is a lot no? for the numbers uh, of inhabitants we have in this country. And, um, and according to the last census, we will see now with a new one, but according to the last one, 20% of the population um, speak other language than English as their first language at home. And almost half of them speak Spanish, around 43%, uh, followed by Chinese. And it depends, of course, on the, on the region in the, in the US. Uh, in Michigan, Arabic is very prominent, different from other states. But if we consider the entire country, Spanish is by far the largest uh, spoken um, uh, language following English. And uh, Pew Research also Pew Research also um, did a, a survey <coughs> on public schools. We don't have information from private schools, but considering U.S. public schools, in 2015, uh, the students for whom English is their second language was very close to 10%, 9.5%. So, and this number could be increasing, no, not everyone agrees in how these numbers will show up in the upcoming years. There could be um, a slight increase. So we have near 10% of the students in public schools for whom English is the second language. And probably in private schools it's a little lower, uh, again depending on the area. But uh, I don't know, do you, do you have any idea on the percentage? Or? But if you're in immersion school like I am, it's a lot. <laughs> yes, exactly. So okay. we depend on, on what kind of private school. Okay. Sure. So again, in this in the case of the public school, Spanish is the number one language spoken at home for those uh, students um, for whom English is not the first language. Um, interesting facts of this research is that, of course, when some, some are uh, more obvious than others, cities are more likely than rural areas to have students who are English language learners. Most English language learners are in elementary school. Most US public school students with limited English proficiency are US citizens. So children of immigrants born in the US and children of American parents born abroad. This is the largest group 
um, of uh, students with limited English proficiency who are also uh, U.S. Uh, citizens, 72% are U.S. citizens. So what this means for, for our school system? That in our case, as Christian schools, I, and I know and I acknowledge that probably our numbers are lower, but we also have a different approach than public schools. Public schools have all this kind of um, context with all the, the social change, but for us it's a mandate. As you have some statistics. It's a mandate for us. The mandate of welcoming the stranger, the mandate of loving our neighbor. So we can share our beliefs, our, um, our Christian faith, to make it, through making room to these students who struggle learning English. And so, um, singing in a different language, using a language of their hearts or child or in classroom, is a way of acknowledging that they are welcome, that we are um, including them. So the, the goal is the hospitality, but more, more than just offering or extending hospitality, is also the inclusion. You belong to us, you are part of this community, and we are making this effort of singing in the language of your heart. Uh, in order for you to feel welcome, to feel at home. Um, so this would be one of the, the main reasons to use this kind of bilingual or multilingual resources. And I know it differs on, on the region where you are based, and we are mostly doing English, uh, Spanish, but of course it could happen that you, are, you have other kind of um, language communities in, represented in your schools. The second reason, why this kind of uh, approach, multilingual singing, is important for our schools is also in terms of our students for whom English is their first language, but who are trying to learn a second language, immersion language programs, but also, I mean, helping students with uh, foreign language acquisition. <laughs> so we all know that we live in a globalized world where there is a big benefit um, speaking speaking other languages. Oh, it's we're just gonna play with this That's interesting. <laughs> so, for our students, learning a second language or a third language is a huge benefit, considering the globalized, uh, the increasing globalized world. Um, of course, when you speak English as a first language, you feel comfortable traveling or doing business. But English is the third most spoken language in the world. Again, the first one is Chinese. The second one is, when I say Chinese, then you explain different Chinese. Uh, the second is Spanish. If you consider people who speak English as second language, English becomes the second most spoken language. Uh, if we consider only first language speakers, uh, then Spanish is the second one. So we need uh, more students uh, studying in second and third languages, more schools with this kind of approach, um, encouraging students to learn uh, new languages. There are interesting facts about learning um, new languages. And I have some of the, of the features that have been researched, that the students who learn a second language learn faster and easier that learning a second language improves uh, problem solving, creativity, enhance a future career opportunities, of course, connect with other cultures and build tolerance, and also prevent age-related mental illnesses. It's good for adults. This is not only for children to learn uh, other languages. And a recent study in 2013 at the University of Edinburgh at the Institute for Music and Human and Social Development, um, 
this, this institute and uh, a scholar from the psychology uh, department at the same university, they conducted a very interesting study on how singing could support foreign language learning. So in this study, there were 60 adults randomly assigned to undertake one of three kinds of approaches to um, learning a foreign language. One was just listen and repeat. The other was speaking rhythmically. And the third approach was singing. And they chose a very different language that was Hungarian. Most of these people, of course, in Edinburgh, spoke English as first language. They had to learn Hungarian. And they did these three, they split the 60 people in these three groups. The three groups had 20 adults in each one. And then they were tested. And the group that performed the best was the group that learned the language through singing. Um, so we have this, uh, this research that proves that it's not only beneficial for the immigrant students, for those who are learning English as um, second language, but also for our students, English-speaking students who are learning a second language, that singing helps a lot, especially in pronunciation. And in our case, singing Christian songs would help students to acquire vocabulary that is theological vocabulary. We are teaching them new words about God, about creation, about um, loving our neighbor and all the good contents our students need to learn. And the third reason why we encourage bilingual or multilingual singing in chapel or in classrooms is as a tool of a spiritual formation. Um, we believe that worship is a way to express our faith, to express our feelings, but it is also a means to shape dispositions, to shape souls, to shape um, our hearts. We can help the students through providing language, through songs, to express gratitude, to learn repentance, to express lament. So singing in these different ways uh, gives the students a language that shapes their spiritual life and teaches the students about the capacity of the church. That they can sing in different language also as a way of um, learning solidarity with the disempowered communities in this country. I like this uh, quote uh, by Gerardo Martí who claims, as we sing another person's song, we share another's experience of God. The most important aspect of this experience for the Anglo world is learning vulnerability and loss of privilege. As we learn another person's songs, we place ourselves in disadvantage. We are playing by other people's rules. We are also accepting the possibility of standing with them, seeing God through their eyes, experiencing justice or injustice as they do, define the experience as they do. In short, we become like children. Through worship, the experience of global songs bring unity. And in the process, we break down the dividing walls of the day and the week so we can work together in the realm of God. So this, this is a... Um, a resource we are bringing here, and I know that tomorrow we will hear more about this book. It's a recently published book. It's our second bilingual book in English and Spanish. We have another one on the Lord's Supper. And this is um, the book on the sons and how we can teach children, but also adults or uh, teenagers, different. Uh, worship habits, different worship language uh, that relates to different worship experiences. And it's fully bilingual. In each page you will have at least three songs that um, teaches these habits. And um, we can use this as a resource as a resource to discuss with, uh, with children and with the students 
different uh, worship practices, listening to God, talking to God, lament, thanksgiving, praise, uh, offering, so forth. The, the, the pictures are beautiful by an artist from Michigan, and you will find that in many of these pictures, uh, there are images that point to other Bible stories. So this could be a way to, um, to talk with our students about different stories, like in this case, Joseph. And at the, at the end of the book, we have included language for worship that represents how worship practices are named in the two languages in different traditions, because we want this book to be ecumenical. So different ways in which different um, uh, Christian communities name worship practices in the two languages. And every, lang every word represents one of these habits. So this is a, a good resource to develop this kind of um, language that can form and shape um, the spiritual life of our students. The other resource that you received, Santo, 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 Holy, 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 is a brand new hymnal that the Worship Institute also just put out, which Maria and I serve as co-managing editors on. Throughout the presentation today, we're going to sing a few songs along the way and talk about different ways to teach songs um, in your worshiping communities. We know some of you are probably classroom teachers, some of you are music teachers, some of you do chapel as part of your um, load. Um, and have different roles. So we're trying to speak to all of those different roles in this, um, but we're going to try some songs along the way. What Kaitan is handing out is a short article that explains a little bit more about the hymnal that Maria and I co-wrote for a journal that Kaitan is an editor for, Reformed Worship. <laughs> um, but let's take a break from us speaking and let's sing together. Let's join our voices in unity by singing number 40. Tu fidelidad es grande. I depend upon your faithfulness. Number? Number 40. Um, and just so you know, what you're seeing, if you're music teachers, you're looking at the page and seeing only a melody line. The accompaniment edition, lead sheet, chord chart editions, they are all forthcoming. We hope the accompaniment edition and the lead sheet edition will be available by our January worship symposium. Um, but they are still coming. If you want to use them, I can give you my email address and I can send you PDFs ahead. So come talk to me afterwards if you are interested in using some of these right now and need the accompaniment. Okay. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play this through once. Let's join our voices in English first, followed by the Spanish, and then a third time in language of your choice.
um, one of the good things that we have a hymnal like that in our disposal at your church, at your school, at your chapel time, is that these kind of resources always available to us. It is um, interesting to see that how a student, when they live around a bilingual hymnal, you know, got, got the early exposure to multilingual singing, they will get more comfortable uh, in practicing that. So, um, I am going to um, talk a little bit about you know, how I grew up as a uh, Chinese person, but in a very metropolitan city, and we have many uh, languages that we speak and practice together on a day-to-day -day lives. So, I'm showing you that um, bilingual hymnal in Hong Kong, uh, published in Hong Kong, has been a norm since the 70s. Um, there are many, many uh, hymnals from different denominations, and most of them are printed or published in a bilingual way. Um, which is good for us because through the missionary effort, we were exposed to these Western hymns uh, at a very young age. And English was not good for us, it's not our day-to-day -day language, so we, we were able to sing in Chinese. And then, uh, we can always choose to learn in English because that was the original language that the hymn was written. All right, So we get, get a little more comfortable to do that. So having a, 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 um, a resource like that always handy for us is always encouraging for us to do that. So you can see that um, in one particular setting, very much like this one, the, our language, the Chinese language, and the original language are printed vertically, upside, I mean uh, on the top and uh, on the bottom. So it gives us the opportunity to sing whatever we like. All right? And then there are also different formats. Uh, for some songs, because of the length, because of the complexity of the text, we print them side by side. So, uh, Chinese on one side and the English on the other side. And obviously this is a song with four verses. So, having to struggle with all these four verses on a vertical manner, top and bottom manner, is very hard to maneuver for, for a singer. So, we put it this way. Um, the good thing, again, I said is, for a student at a very young age, uh, if you have Spanish and English for them available, and they can choose, they may struggle a little bit. When I was younger, I had to struggle quite a bit actually because I don't know all the Chinese words. Uh, they are not, you know, twenty-four alphabets. There's so many about, you know, fifty thousand Chinese words that we would have to learn. Right? We manage about six thousand or so. You know, for a regular Chinese person, it's still a lot of words to learn. So we struggle with the language on one side, and English is a different language that we have to get familiar with. But we got the benefit. We know that English is an international language. We better get well, earlier, right? So for here, if Spanish is a very common, very uh, useful language, get students exposed to um, uh, multiple ling language uh, in print. So they don't have to choose. They can always choose. Not, not somebody don't have to choose for them, but they can choose to do whatever language uh, as they want to do it. So um, I want to share a little bit um, I, I share as a Chinese perspective, but you may have your own setting that you can apply, think about what is happening in your community. Uh, for us, especially North American Chinese churches, um, we have, well we say Chinese, but there are multiple different languages and dialects being spoken in, in, uh, in the Chinese community. So we have uh, the standardized Chinese uh, in print if you are a Cantonese speaker, we don't speak what is print, what is written. So the, the, the spoken language is totally different, not totally, but very different from the, uh, from the printed language. For the, for the people who speak Mandarin, they speak what they see, what they write, so which is a benefit for them. So we have to learn more. So the, the thing is, now with the, um, with the uh, current Chinese um, practice, uh, after 1949, the mainland Chinese government pushed something called simplified Chinese to the, uh, to the population in China. So they are learning a simplified version of Chinese characters. So now that we have some practical problems, because our written language, we have two versions, and then our spoken language, we have multiple versions. How do we gather together and sing? Right? The good thing is, well, we can guess. Okay, we can guess. So that's why I encourage you, when you, when you teach your, your student to sing in multiple languages, after a while, Spanish, for example, they are not 
they are not the same as English, but you can guess, right? Even though if you are not fluent in the language, you can guess. And I'm so glad that I ended up being a choral music major, and we have to sing uh, songs in German, in French, in Latin, and whatever languages, right? And uh, once, once you know, you get familiar with them, you say, yeah, I can kind of pick some words, and I can manage to understand individual meaning. And I'm not good at that. I'm not mastering it. But I started to feel comfortable to do that. So in the Chinese setting, we are dealing with that kind of situation. What do we do? So gradually, we have some kind of consent in our community. Sing whatever hard language you feel comfortable. If you want to venture into different languages to be with the other people, by all means, do it. You are not acting funny. Right? It's just part of that community practice. Um, this is a good book. This is a good book. Whether the song is written in English and translated into Spanish, or it's a Spanish song that translated into English, we have good translations. I hope. I cannot judge. <laughs> but I think it's a good translation. A literal work, very nice. In our, in our community, we struggle with that. Because when we translate a, uh, English into Chinese, are we doing it I mean, uh, poetically, or are we doing it in a more word-for-word uh, -word, uh, basis? You have to deal with that. And not only that, because Chinese is, is a tonal language. So if you pick the wrong tone for the word, you change the meaning of the word. So there's something very uh, bad examples that we've been living with for, for, many, for, for a lot, uh, long time. For example, the word Lord. Lord. Um, translated to Chinese, the word Lord, if you put the wrong pronunciation, uh, intonation, it became a pig. So people laugh at us because you know, you're singing a song to a pig which is not right, right? So those kind of things have to be uh, taken care of. Um, the English language and the Spanish language may not have that particular challenge, but you still want to have a translation that is good, not just, you know, anyone sit down and do a translation. You know, the, there are meanings to the word, there are high tone, low tone, that can enhance, enhance us to, to feel the text, uh, how we do it. So, in the Chinese community, we have a, uh, a more movement going on is to retranslate a lot of uh, standard hymns from the, from the uh, last centuries. Uh, because now that we are more aware of the ton uh, tonality of the tone, how can we enhance that? And I believe the effort of a book like this helps us because it looks at the poetic meaning, the literal meaning of words, and how can we fit them together. So uh, I'm, I guess you know, they are not always literal trans translation you know, uh, from word to word uh, for all the songs. They have to take some kind of poetic liberty to make sure the meaning is, is, uh, is clear. All right, so um, there are some current issues um, about multilingual singing. It's not about Chinese, but you can think about how that would apply in your particular situation. So it came out of two uh, research articles that came out in the last several years. Um, these points are going to enhance what uh, uh, Maria talked about a little earlier. So we have to understand that language to a person Think about somebody who is not English-speaking. They came to this particular society, they live here, and they speak the mother tongue. They speak their own language at home and with their own friends. Why? Because language is not just an instrument. It's their own identity. When they gather with their people, I, uh, my physical office is at Kelvin Seminary, which we have 40% of the students are international students, and a large percentage of students are from Korea. So when they gather as a Korean group, they felt a lot more comfortable to sing, to talk in their own language. So language is, is part of that, that themselves. It's not just a language. All right? So when we, are, when we have other language speakers among our congregation or among your, your school setting, being able to sing a song or two or three or four in other, other's language, we don't say that in a foreign language, but in other people, uh, the language of one of the members of your community singing their songs is meaning very meaningful to them. Very, very <coughs> meaningful to them. So it's hospitality, like um, Maria mentioned earlier. So the other thing is we will not be... It, it is not easy for us to learn a different language when we try to speak in Korean while well, we take a long time to learn the language, right? It's not very easy for us to learn the uh, French language in order to talk to a French person fluently. But interesting thing is when we sing, and then we can understand because we know what the meaning is there already, we are joining together to express a particular uh, uh, reason. 
here we sing praise, we sing lament, we sing uh, uh, thanksgiving. So we are joining our languages together to do one thing. You know, so it brings our society, I mean our community together. The second last point is very important. Um, if you have been living in this particular community, English-speaking community for, the, for, for, for your whole life, you may not realize that. When we learn a different language, we are constantly on the learner's mode, right? Because am I using the grammar correctly? Am I using the uh, intonation or the pronunciation correctly? Well, I grew up from Hong Kong, so we, we will learn uh, the British accent with a very heavy Chinese accent on top of that, right? <laughs> so, uh, coming here, you notice that the American English is very different from British English. Spelling is different, and uh, uh, kilometers and miles are different. So, you are very aware of the other, language, uh, the other culture. So, for us, for many of you, when you speak English as your main language, when we sing in other language, it immediately puts us into a learner's mode because we have to struggle just like other people when they learn the English language. So we get to experience that feel of the language. Like uh, one of my choral teachers uh, said that to us, like you, you sing in French, you get to feel the French in your mouth. Are we good in French? No, right? <laughs> but you can feel it. And we sing in that German. That German you know, language, you get to feel the German language, and then now you know why Bach put that word into that particular spot, right? And then now, this, this is very interesting because suddenly we are no longer a dominating group because we are now put on a learner's mode to learn other people's language. Think about in that educational setting, you know, some of your students think, we're so good, why are we here, right? I'm just so good in that, and you are teaching me that. Right? So that the assignments are like at least four weeks ahead, I hope. Right? In my class, in my, in my class at Kelvin, some students would do the assignment like two weeks ahead of the, uh, the uh, assignment. And I thought, why are they sitting here? They can teach, right? Because they know everything already. But now, if they do say in a different language and say, let's, we have to learn. Nobody's comfortable. Let's learn it together. And um, of course, the last point is uh, a repetition of earlier. Uh, singing in others' languages is a powerful form of embodiment of other culture and life experiences among us. So um, that's why we encourage you to, to try, you know, sing in multilingual manner. Um, in closing, uh, in, for my part, we want to encourage group singing in, in different languages. I want to give you some um, um, research report saying that um, singing together in a different language actually helps us to build an interpersonal and intergroup encounter. All right? Because now that we are experienced to other people's culture, it builds our mindset to be able to communicate better. Not that because we know the language. And suddenly we're in a posture that we are more humble, and then we want to communicate with others in a more effective way. And then um, I also said that group singing is a transforming experience for many of our students. So if we sing in a multilingual way, and it's much better that you talk about their culture for a long time, right? It's one way, one way presenting, but now they are participating. So there are multiple um, advantages to sing uh, in a multilingual manner, right? Um, by helping them to sing, students get more cultural sensitive. It's not that we-centered, US-centered, or English-centered. We are all part of God's creation. We, have, we bring in our different uh, uh, elements into our community. It encourages intergenerational participation, so that song, uh, the, the song school is a nice example about that. We can come together, use different languages to see that, and, and, and for the particular book, we are actually using pictures that will help us learn as well. And then, um, the uh, multicultural, multilingual singing actually brings groups from different social economic uh, status together. Uh, whether you're from a well-to-do family, from a poor family, from a refugee family, we are here, we are one body, we are in one community, we're going to sing together, we're going to make one voice to praise the Lord to, for prayer, for lament, we are doing that in one voice. And, um, and then it also collaborate among people, let's learn more about other people. So um, there are so many good reasons that we uh, we want to do that. So this is more like uh, on, a, on the corporate side. 
are not being repeated, you can see those other benefits for sending together in a multicultural setting and also trying to send in a multilingual uh, approach. Alright, so we are going to sing some songs, uh, just going to experience that. And um, uh, Becky is going to share you know, how to teach. Um, yes. I actually have been using this hymnbook for a month because it was gifted by the Whitley student. Excellent. And Granville Christian is immersion. Yes. And I'm the dummy that doesn't know any Spanish. But one of the things that I would really like mm -hmm. is if if you're going to have this book out, yes. electronic version, is it coming? Because I'm a doofus with the Spanish, mm -hmm. and all my Spanish kids can say it correctly with the literacy of the notation. Does that make sense? Because my computer is not a Spanish functioning one. Oh. So when I do the Spanish, they go crazy because they have it wrong. This or that. Yeah. So yeah. I have to type out the words. Uh, yes. Does that make sense? So that is gorgeous. Yep. So then we can learn not only the English or the uh, Chinese, but also the musical notation yep. and fit it underneath there because the Spanish, they have yep. all these underneath things. So I'm really hopeful mm -hmm. this will come out electronic, like lift up your hearts. So partially. So GA is still working on it, and it, I'm not sure of a timeline for that. Um, but you can hymnary.org. Are you familiar with that website? They will. They are working on getting the hymnal uploaded, which means everything that's public domain or under certain copyright holders. And I'm not going to trust myself to list them right now. That has given <coughs> hymnary permission to post electronically will be available on hymnary.org. Eventually as well, and again, we're still coming out with all these editions, they will also be have electronic things available for the hymnal on onelicense.net, which is under the GIA publications, publish the hymnal. Onelicense.net, which is like CCLI, um, but has different, uh, manages the copyrights for other companies, um, will also have electronic things available, just like you can from CCLI Song Select. Um, so that, but then there's also people that do the typesetting for screens, so that you can purchase from Linda. Do you remember her name? Do you know her name? Um, uh, Linda uh, Masao. No, no. no. no that, yeah, Somebody else. Right. Him, she produces for Hymnary.org. Um, so it doesn't sound like that's possibly in the near future. There are ways that we can get to this, but unless we put the tangible book in each kid's hand. Yep. When you're working with a first grader, that's the problem of yes. that notation yep. issue. Yep. That, a possibility. It's a beautiful book, it's so a, I'm just excited to be able all, to use it. We've talked about that with the publisher, but it's all like on a timeline of we don't know the time. But the hymnary.org stuff is probably the first electronic thing that will be available. So anything public domain, I believe Hope is up there, possibly GIA. So a lot of the resources will be available on if you have a one license uh, agreement or yep. license, uh, that lender uh, yeah. actually can do that for you and turnaround time is pretty quick. Yep. Um, so yeah, we can talk afterwards and share contact information and I can find out more for you or if anyone else wants this information too. So, and if you know John, we can connect to that too. I so. think you know more information about that. So thank you. Yep, no problem. So I want to acknowledge right now before we keep going that you all are from different communities. And your students that come to you worship in very different settings, right? They come from many different denominations, likely, many different styles of worship. And so the songs that you are pulling from, some are going to be familiar to some students and not familiar to other students. So you kind of have a fun job, if you're playing chapel, of creating a repertoire for your students. That's, that sounds fun to me. <laughs> um, and so what I want to look at a few, a few examples today of on-ramps for learning new songs. I'm going to look at it specifically from the learning languages platform, but what I'm talking about can be used for just simply learning a new song, even if it's all in English or all in another language. Okay? So the song we already sang, Tu Fidelidad, Esperande, <laughs> I call this is a short cyclical song. And what we did when we sang it is we sang it in English first. A lot of your communities, now I could be wrong, so for an immersion school this is going to be opposite, but if your student base is an English majority speaking group, English is going to be easier for them to catch on first. So we can think of kind of two buckets of learning, the language and the music. So if they already know the English, let's learn the music, 
and then we're going to add in the other language once they've got the music down. Does that make sense? So we're separating the new language from the music to learn each separately. And that's kind of what we did here with Two Fidelidad. We learned the melody by singing the English, which is the majority first language in this room, uh, I'm assuming. Um, and then we learned the Spanish together. And then I said, choose whatever you want. Okay? So that is one way, and that can be possible with these short cyclical songs, which you can sing a lot of times, right? You can just sing them a couple times to get used to them. If you would turn with me to number 48, we're going to sing some, we're not going to sing some. If we have time at the end, we can cycle back and sing some more, but I want to make sure we have time for everything. This is a hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, O Dios Eterno, that I think a lot of you will know. I'm not sure all our students know this, but what I would encourage you to do is pick a familiar song for your community. In this case, it has stanzas and a refrain. And one idea is to sing the stanzas in the familiar language and teach that refrain in the new language. And they know, if they know the song really well, they know what they're singing. They don't need the interpretation, right? But they have it internalized, which helps them, that, them then internalize that new language and take the meaning on for that new language as well. Another idea. Yeah. You want to say that in Chinese? Because I actually have that. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. We uh, can we can try the refrain. Okay, so that is a language that may not be familiar with you. So yes. this is Mandarin Chinese, <laughs> Cantonese Chinese. So I have the pronunciation there. So you can basically you know use your basic language with a little bit of modification. But we we don't have to be perfect. And then some of the words might not might not be as easy to pronounce. But the melody is familiar. So let's say, how would the Chinese people sing this song? This is a universal, very popular, very familiar hymn, right? See how the Chinese people would sound when they sing this hymn. So this is the refrain. So let's give it a try. Let's do a little slower than normal. Or one, two, three. Of origin. 
Except Most that, cases. I was going to say, the next example is an exception. The next two examples. 385. So there are some songs in this hymnal. A lot of them were written in one language, say English, and then translated to Spanish, or Span Spanish and translated to English. That's the majority of the cases for the hymnal. There are some songs, however, that were purposely written bilingually. And they follow two different forms, and so we're going to look at two different ones. We'll sing the latter. This first one, Nuestra Ayuda Viena del Señor, Our Hope is in the Name of the Lord, is based on Psalm 124. So when we were working on the hymnal, we very much wanted to have a psalm in each section, as well as cover all the psalms that appear in the Revised Common Lectionary, as well as use all the psalms that are used frequently in different parts of worship. So this one, Psalm 124, for the Reformed tradition, was used at the start of worship. We didn't, however, have a really good song that was in both languages. And so this was written for this hymnal um, by two people who consulted on the project. Um, and you're seeing the Spanish has one melody, and then the English has an entirely different melody. The two languages, the syllabic stresses are different. It takes different amount of words to say the same thing. And so sometimes to sing it beautifully and well in both languages, different melodies just make sense. So you see it first, each language by itself, and then the languages are layered on top of each other, which is a beautiful image of all of us singing the same thing around the heavenly throne in Revelation, right? All of us singing the same thing, but in different languages. We're going to look at another example of that, and that's on 294. El Señor es mi pastor. The Lord is my shepherd. This example is based on Psalm 23. And it was actually written for another hymnal that GIA produced called Oramos Cantando. So about four or five years ago, GIA Publications approached the director of the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship and asked John Whitfleet if he would, with his team, produce a Protestant bilingual hymnal that serves as a echo to the Catholic version of Ramos Cantando, which had come out in 2013. Um, John said yes, and that's how we got to this hymnal. Um, but this song, El Señor es mi pastor, was written for Ramos Cantando. Um, but it works across Catholic and Protestant lines because it's a psalm. Um, and it's just gorgeous. Each melody is gorgeous by itself. But in my opinion, they're more gorgeous together. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing each by itself. We'll start with the English. And then we'll sing the Spanish. And then can I divide the room? Can this side sing in English? And this side sing in Spanish? And we're going to sing it all together twice. Okay? So but first let's do the English, Spanish, and then all together twice. Refrain, 
So each time there's a paragraph break, you could sing this refrain, but it can also stand by itself. I apologize for my keyboard. My sustain pedal is not working for me. <laughs> for whatever reason, it's just, it's a fluke with my keyboard sometimes. It's, it's connected. <laughs> um, another way you can approach this is you could choose a song, and this is going to be different for every community, that has a familiar tune. Your community already knows it, but add a new text in for it. Another one is to choose a song that has a repeated phrase throughout the singing of it. So that each time that phrase comes through, you can sing it in the new language, but the rest of it can be sung in English. So an example of that is 505, Pardon Señor. comes, you can have them sing Pardon Señor, which means forgive us Lord. And then the stanzas could be sung in English or they could be sung in Spanish. Um, but that's just one way to get your students, especially if it's predominantly English speaking, to have a little bit of the Spanish involved. Um, there are many, many other factors to consider. Um, and if you have things that have worked for your communities, I would love to learn them. We are constantly trying to learn more things. Um, so I would love to talk to you afterwards about that. Um, but at this point, we'd love to ask for questions. So if you have questions for us about any of these things, or we'd love to hear from you. Well, go ahead. I'm just curious if there is any Chinese equivalent of this. We have a lot of Chinese speakers in it. Um, there isn't. Uh, if you are looking at standard Chinese hymnal with Chinese characters and English language, there are plenty. But if you don't speak the language, especially for the second generation who uh, grew up here, they may not be able to read. So you need that uh, transliteration, which I typed in. And that is not widely available. Since I know the language, I have to, I have to do it, to type it up, and then put it on screen. Is so, is that like proper pinyin that you're using there, or is yeah, that that's uh, Mandarin, Mandarin pinyin? That's that is pinyin. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm not super good at that, so I do have to consult a dictionary periodically to make sure that's the right thing. Uh, but that's not. So you need to make an effort to find somebody who can do it and then put the um, put the word that did the transliteration there. At Calvin Seminary, once in a while we will do that for other languages uh, in our community, <coughs> and we find the people who knows that language to help us put an African language, you know, so that we can use it properly. Yeah, that's an effort, but that's not why they're available yet. Yeah. I just was going to add a comment, um, not really a question at all, but um, right now I'm taking an, uh, an ASL class um, and learning a lot about how to connect that to worship too. Um, I think that would be really neat for students too, because it's something that could be done simultaneously as you're singing. Yeah. Um, and opening them up to a whole new type of physical worship as well. Mm -hmm. However, it's very interesting. If you're going to go, Cristo, that song, the words for, or wonderful, the W I'm making in English, is different than the Spanish. So I'm like, oh, am I able really to do that? You have this one in here. Um, and so I'm like, exactly. So you're like, am I, I'm doing the English signing, but if I, it doesn't, interesting, does it match with the Spanish? Like if you looked at your number three, I think I can see it with my glasses that are in my eyes. Three, three, five, you are my all in all. On that one there, that's exactly the whole situation because we're learning that one in class right now, and it's Jesus, Lamb of God, but then you know, Cristo Salvador, and I don't speak Spanish, 
digno de adorar, and I'm doing this for name, and I'm not sure that's right. It's exactly it. It's like, okay, we're still doing it. We're signing in English, but we're singing in Spanish. There are songs that are easier to, to have parallel text and other than Barry's. Yeah. I think so it's cool for Number of syllables, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of the challenge. Oh, right. The ASL, however we want to treat it, because it could be a language by itself, or it could be a supplement to the English language. But if you have somebody who speaks Spanish and who can do their sign language, that we can experience that as well, if you have somebody who has the expertise. Yeah. I just want an advice for either you like when you are trying to, I teach in a school that they have Spanish uh, So sometimes we want to see more Spanish involved, and then when you have people that says, yeah, but we don't know what we're singing. And we try to pick like a familiar song that you already know the melody. But then when you have the people that is, or those people that are like, you know, I, I don't even know what I'm singing, so why do you want me to? So seen in the Spanish, so how can I approach those people like I wish they will be here someday. So I've been in Chinese and in my life I have ever said any word in Chinese and this is what I say, it's just to bring a community together. We are not trying to you to be Spanish or me to be in English, but growing up in a church that we have many missionaries from other churches we can you know, worship the Lord together and I learned many, many songs in, in English, so for me that is awesome, so I don't know, I just need advice for any That help. struggle is real in, in North American Chinese community because uh, we have people who don't speak English and uh, we have people who speak Mandarin Chinese, Cantonese uh, um, uh, Chinese, and then who, there are people, younger people, they don't know Chinese at all, so we're in one community. So when, whenever we gather, we always struggle with that question. Do we just fly, just fly, okay? Pick up whatever you can, or do we translate three times for each, uh, you know, for, for, for each group? Um, there's no good choice. There's no good choice. So it boils down to, if you are having a Spanish chapel, and then you ask yourself, do we want to experience how the Spanish language, when they leave the chapel, this is how they, how they feel. Join as, as much as you can. If you cannot, well, just experience it. So we are in a posture of experience. But if the, if the goal is to participate, that unity, and try out this is, you know, one prize body, and your hand language is not the same as your nose language, your nose language is not the same as your ear language, you know? And, and then how do we complement each other, right? So now we find some commonality there. A familiar melody, you know, with different text. Um, or some other ways. You you speak, uh, you read a, a scripture passage with only one language, but not the other, or repeat it, or alternatively, in however way you have to, we have to be very creative. Yeah. It's an image of the kingdom of God when we sing together in multiple languages, and a foretaste of that heavenly kingdom. We... Yep, so we will end with one more song, 712. Can I borrow your hymnal, Maria? I'll print it. 712. <laughs> Um, and this song is in three, the three languages that we were talking about today. Hopefully it stays open. We'll sing it through once. Please pick the language of your choice. Um, and it looks like Titan did put the transliteration, right? Um, because in the hymnal what you have is characters.
any questions personally? And if there's someone in your community that really, really could use one of these resources, we do have a few extra. So feel free to take one more for somebody else in your community. You may take them home.